All right, everybody, welcome to the October 26th edition of Cascadian Views. Uh, Dan and I together again. Howdy, howdy. Almost as often as my girlfriend, it feels like, now that she's working and going to school. <laughs> All right. We, uh, yeah, let that one sit awkwardly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a, uh, a fairly busy week in terms of the impeachment inquiry, although... The odd part is we don't exactly know how busy it was uh, because all of these depositions that are happening are happening behind closed doors. A lot of them deal with classified intel, which means they have to go into the, one of the excuse me into one of these secure compartmentalized information facilities, the SCIF, as they call them. The Senate has one, the House has one. Uh, that's where most of these interviews are taking place, and it's where. Uh, Republicans staged what I would consider to be their most brazen uh, stunt of the impeachment inquiry. They didn't just attempt, they successfully stormed these secure rooms. They did so with their phones in hand and tweeting from them, as I might add, uh, which would be a federal crime. It, it's actually a federal offense to bring a communications device into those rooms. They're not allowed. Uh, and it was done apparently with the urging of the White House. The, the president tweeted that he had known about this in advance and had uh, encouraged all this to go on. Great. Well, he's he's got his own mobs and they're fucking congressmen. That's what's just so ridiculous. This follows after a week in which the president made very, very clear his uh, dissatisfaction with Senate Republicans not doing enough to uh, help him. Mm -hmm. uh, House Republicans heard that message loud and clear, it seems. Uh, they made a series of demands, including that Republicans be allowed to participate in the process. Spoiler alert, they can. They already uh, are. Yeah, there are in fact three dozen House Republicans who sit on the committees that were uh, part of this investigation that had all the right in the world to be in that secure room and work mm -hmm. so i did it, it's just a, a circus they're, they're trying to turn it into a circus they're endangering national security as they do so other republicans uh kind of let them off the hook a little bit they said that you know bringing the phones in is a bad move but you know they're they're not used to it they don't sit on those committees they don't understand the rules which is precisely the goddamn point that's, that's that's exactly why they had no reason to be there. We had no problem with Republicans who sit on the committee and understand exactly what the rules are behind use of the secure facilities. Nobody had any problems with them. It's the, the wacko Yahoo squad that comes storming in from their, their freedom caucus or whatever the hell. Right. Is, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gets or you know that yeah, Gates or maniac from Florida, yeah. yeah, possible Germanic pronunciation where I, I don't know the you, whatever the guy's a the guy's a lunatic, but yeah, and the rest of those nuts. Uh, what's it? Uh, Jim Jordan and uh, Mark Meadows, I think. Yeah, all, all these you know crazy white guys that are just furious at any kind of questioning of the president just it's a good group they're great yeah um the the republicans eventually did clear out not before ordering pizza to the secure room i don't quite know how you get a delivery 
to a secure communications facility. Oh my god. But yeah. Uh, and they, they hung around for, I, I think the end count was eight hours to delay the deposition, which did eventually happen. It was scheduled to begin that morning. It did not go until that night, but it did happen that day. So yeah, yeah they just created a, a spectacle for almost literally no reason but to make people pay. Fantastic. Uh, I, I guess we'll kind of move on from that to a, a couple stories that were on here. Uh, one, there's a Trump appointee that has gone to court and asked a judge to rule on whether or not he has to comply with the subpoena. Mm-hmm. Uh, Congress was telling him he does, and Trump was telling him not to go. And instead of choosing one or the other, he threw his hands in the air. And he went to a federal judge, and he asked for a ruling. Do you, do you think he's going to get one? You are our legal mind. Yeah. I would say, at least at the at the earliest levels, it's probably going to be adverse to him. Of course, he's going to be expected to comply with subpoenas. Uh, again, I think the pattern is we see what happens when they get to the higher levels where the uh, of the court system where they are less bound by precedent and have a little bit more leeway to just apply the LOL. Nothing matters. We're Republicans and we're in charge. Uh, rule of law as it is generally applied by the uh, troika of uh, Sam Alito, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Gorsuch, and Clarence Thomas, with sometimes John Roberts joining in. Can I ask you a a question real quick? You said adverse to him. Uh, I I wasn't under the impression he had a preferred outcome, uh, the person bringing the case. I would say adverse to the president is what I'm thinking, yeah. All right, fair enough. I was a little yeah. bit confused by that. Yeah, yeah. I thought he, he just wanted a just getting clarification. Exactly. He just wanted a, a clarification opinion. Which one am I supposed to follow? President's oh. telling me one thing. Congress is telling me another. Give me an answer. Sure, sure. Well, in that case, I think it's more likely, at least at the initial levels, that the courts are going to say, "Look, you got to bring us an actual subpoena that's being defied, one way or another." or, you know, complied with or not, and then we can tell you whether or not the matter is actually right to be addressed. So, yeah, uh, if it, it'll be, I don't expect, courts are not in the habit of issuing advisory opinions. That's what you go to an attorney general for. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the other deposition news that happened was, um, the Assistant Secretary of State for Europe and areas like that. Uh, that's not his official title, but it mm-hmm. makes more sense than Europe and Eurasia, which just sounds weird. Yeah, uh, Eurasia covers both. Why do you need Europe and Eurasia? Say either Europe and Asia or Eurasia. Well, there's you know normal Europe like France, and then there's kind of you know foreign Europe, which is a little <laughs> bit further east. Uh, Anyway, he responded to a late-breaking subpoena from the Democrats and showed up on Capitol Hill today with very little warning to the president. Uh, And also at the complete dismissal of Secretary Pompeo, who ordered him not to show up. Reeker is is kind of late to the administration. He only joined up uh, this spring in March, I believe, when he took the job. Uh, So can't say he's like a deep state plan he showed up in the middle of it he's not yeah somebody that they had to hold over for on the other hand i mean 
are they really finding enough loyalists out there that they can staff these positions with? I mean, the kind of the big story of the Trump administration is that it's so understaffed because, you know, they have gotten tired of hiring people who know what they're doing and would prefer, you know, loyalists over everything else, which means it's a little harder to fill positions ultimately and definitely impossible to fill them with people that can actually do the jobs. Which is why you end up with so many acting heads of whatever agency or people like Mick Mulvaney, who, as you last week pointed out, has like four jobs. It's amazing that they haven't brought Gorka back, like officially. Yeah, well, I mean, he flew to Rome with Pompeii yeah. on a State Department jet <laughs> last week. They can get they can get a, a shell company to pay him instead and pay him a lot more and basically do what he, whatever he was doing for Trump anyway. God. Um, Something I didn't slap on the uh, topic list that actually, now that you got me uh, talking to you, I just remembered the the court case where a judge has said that the Mueller report must be right. The house. Uh, that seemed like a it was a really good read for an opinion. I don't know if you mm-hmm. had a, a chance to read through it, but there were the judge specifically pointed out uh, that she or excuse me, he I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, ruled that the government has to turn it over because of a letter that the government sent to the judge explaining how that they were just going to dismiss all requests for information from the, the House. That, you know, she said she, or he, I, I'm misgendering somebody some way. I apologize for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judge said that they, uh, you know, would prefer that the parties work among themselves, but with the complete stonewalling that they professed to in court documents that the government would continue doing. They had to make a ruling one way or the other, and uh, they came down for the House on the documents. Uh, Directing the DOJ to turn out the full unredacted report. So that's going to be something. Although, as we're finding out, the Mueller report doesn't actually seem like it went into a whole lot of stuff. Do you think at the end of the day the House gets the the unredacted Mueller report? I know that you know we just went over this in the other case. How yeah. Works when it gets to the court, but is there any chance this is a bridge too far for say? Well, Roberts almost definitely he's going to have to be on the saving team if there's a saving team. Yeah. Because if this goes our way, Roberts is is on our side on this. But who's who's the other vote? In, on the Supreme Court? Yeah. Or just... Mm. Who's the other vote to, to release this report if it gets that far? I think Roberts is probably all you get. Maybe Gorsuch, but I mm, I don't really... I don't see Thomas going along with it. I don't see Alito. I don't see um, Kavanaugh. I think they'd... All three of those would protect the president. You know, at most, you've got... Roberts and possibly Gorsuch, I'd it, say. It's weird to me, uh, because not just in this case, but in the other cases, including one this week where the government specifically said if the president shot somebody on Fifth Avenue and it's their position, you cannot be indicted for it. Right. Uh, their their argument, specifically that Watergate, the, the Nixon case, was decided wrongly, seems tailor-made to piss off Roberts. yeah roberts may not be as much of an institutionalist as you know he likes to think he is but i mean this is like 
waving a giant surrender flag in front of him and telling him he has to do it. Right. I mean, the way you appeal to Roberts is by basically saying up is down and down is up and say, uh, I'm trying to think of the good examples for it. You know, but the one that comes immediately to mind is uh, with the um, Muslim ban and those cases related to that where Roberts is basically invited to on its on its face repudiate decisions like Korematsu, but in effect completely affirm them and go along with the implications of previous detested rulings and you know put himself in the same place as those previous courts but you know at least making making mouth noises about you know certain proprieties that are in place now while doing the exact opposite of them so really i think the way you do it is again say this isn't anything at all like us v nixon and protecting the president's right is a completely different instance in this case than it would have been in us v nixon and that's how roberts justifies it um but to go out and say you know the president can do criminal things and have no responsibility for it whatsoever and nobody is expected to turn over anything to you know congress you know the co-equal branches of government do not exist that that is you're right that's something that should be a bridge too far and where he's not going to endorse i mean that that sort of belief you know things that negate you know the very structure of the u.s government you know that's that might be how you keep roberts from being able to sign <laughs> off on it it's weird to me because i almost i almost feel like it might be intentional there's this need within the campaign to demonstrate dominance and would they really be so short-sighted to to think that you know they're not only going to make Roberts vote for them, but they're going to make him humiliate himself in the process? Could could that really be the thought process behind it? Because I'm I'm starting to think it might be. Or set up a confrontation where you know Roberts does the right thing and says you have to hand these over. And then they just say no. I mean, that's I, that's the that's the really scary part. But he's made his ruling. Now let him come and force it. Exactly. Exactly. Full Jackson. On this? I am tired of being. I'm tired of having any constraints whatsoever. And you know, Congress has already, or at least the Senate has already said, I get to do whatever I want. So it's time the Supreme Court got on board as well. And if they won't, we'll break them. Uh, then you are really depending on the Senate coming back or from the brink of wherever they are. And God help us. I know (laughs) because, you know, right now, actually you've got, I think Lindsey Graham's up to like probably 50 senators on board for his, uh, resolution condemning the impeachment inquiry. So great. (laughs) Does he really have that many? Because there's I believe more, so. There's more than two Republicans openly flirting voting for impeachment. Sure. Well, let's see here. Let's see. Let me see if I can find that. Cory Gardner just slammed door no to that today, which means he's probably up on not winning his seat. Yeah, um, hoping to. Yeah, so he might as well be a bomb thrower for the rest of the Congress. 
Exactly. Let's see here. Let me see if there's any update on where he is at. Let's see here. This is from yesterday. Shoot. Sorry, more dead air, but... Uh, da, da, da. If I have added, okay, added 44 in. Republicans immediately co-sponsored it. Okay. My God. Well, that's... And the, let's see here. Oh, wait. There's added... The only three that are not currently are Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, and Susan Collins. Okay. They're all 50 on board with this lunacy. Isn't that 49? I thought Republicans had a 52-member caucus. I believe they're at 53. 53. Okay. Well, that's yeah, good times. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to this one in a few months. <laughs> I expect we will. We'll see what happened. Uh, There was also Rudy's butt dial? Yeah, all kinds of more ridiculousness with Rudy. Uh, I'm I'm not convinced this isn't a conspiracy. Uh, I'm I'm not convinced this isn't Rudy directly planting something. Because how do you butt dial with a cell phone? Twice. Yeah, with a modern phone. How do you butt dial that? He did it twice to the same number, and I guess the conversation picked up like nothing happened. Counter to this, though, is the fact that Rudy is actually well-known for accidentally butt-dialing people. Huh. Um, literally almost every reporter I follow on Twitter was able to share a story about Rudy accidentally really? calling people. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is like a big thing. Uh, not usually this explosive, and also Rudy appears to be soliciting a bribe. <laughs> I don't know if you yeah. listened to the call. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about how they're sinking and they need some money. And then there's a real long pregnant silence. Yeah. And then somebody comes back to him talking about some ways that they could pull some money into him. I mean, I, you know, it happens. I mean, I've experienced also not Rudy himself, but dialing me or dialing me by mistake. But I have received calls in the past from somebody who had not intended to do so and is not even aware that the call is happening. And yeah, you just you know, see hear hear the music in their car, or you know the noise from their purse, or whatever. But I just don't understand how it happens. I look at the mechanics of a phone, and it doesn't make sense to me. So, <laughs> and it's the twice. <laughs> Maybe that we'll kills figure me. this out. Yeah. So you call, it rings, it goes to voicemail, it takes the voicemail. At the end of three minutes, it kicks you off. You then have to ring again. Going through all the steps he did before, because it'll go back to the phone's home screen. The same person. Yeah. And go through that all again. I'm I'm almost tempted to think he's planting something. I don't I don't know how I could otherwise. But yeah. I, I I don't want to be a conspiracist because I have zero evidence for that besides the fact that it's it's insane. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how you do it. And you're right. How do you accidentally unlock your phone in your pocket twice? Yeah. I mean, even if you leave it unlocked, you still have to have some kind of like skin contact with the phone. I mean, unless he goes commando and he's got a hole in the ass of his pocket. <laughs> I don't know. But that's just bizarre. All right. Fa- you know, speculating about, you know, what kind of underwear Rudy wears. So <laughs> I get we're... we're in the weeds. <laughs> Yes. Uh, 
do you want to take a look at Q3 Cynic numbers before we switch back to our local stuff? Um, Let's see here. Sure. Mark Kelly is an absolutely towering figure over McSally. Uh, Kelly has outraised her now for three straight quarters. That almost never happens for an incumbent to be outraised by a challenger for nearly an entire year at this point. He's got more than $2 million more in the bank than she does. He's, he's just absolutely wiping the floor with her. It's also been a while since she's outright mm. won a poll in that state. It's been over a month since she's been clearly in the lead in anything. Uh, most of them show either Kelly with a small lead or McSally somewhere within the margin of error above Kelly. Yeah. Uh, this is looking like a, a lost cause almost. Well, I mean, it's, I know with that, with the numbers as close as they are, I think with Arizona being where it is, I think things are always going to be close for a while, but it's not going to be too dissimilar from, say, where Arizona was in the mid-aughts, where it's... This is Arizona. I mean, Virginia, rather, where Virginia was in the mid-aughts, where it's just slowly moving in the direction, you know, whether that's demographic change or, you know, the certain political situation on the ground changing locally there to move it in a single direction. And I think it's kind of just hitting on the edge of that. Cinema was probably the beachhead, you know, not entirely dissimilar to, say, uh, Jim Webb, again, in Virginia 2006, or Tim Kaine the year before. Just uh, more, you know, not entirely surprising, but definitely upsets still of incumbents, you know, candidates that have been around or, you know, just candidacies with, where you wouldn't have necessarily said this is going to happen uh, ends up kind of the tide turning and then slowly the ground gets more and more favorable as you go to now where we consider Virginia basically a blue state uh, where they could very well have the trifecta in their government in the next, you know, after next week actually. Uh, so that could be pretty much where Arizona is at. I think it's at least going to be close. Uh, the race between McSally and Cinema was also very close. So I don't see any reason to think that to think that it's going to be a blowout. But you know, who knows? I mean, Cinema was also you know subject to a lot of attacks uh, on a past as being you know more a little more left wing. Although her record by the time she was in Congress was pretty down the middle. You know, she's pretty ideal ideologically for where Arizona was at right now. And I think Mark Kelly, with nothing really in his past except, you know, being an astronaut and being the wife of a martyred or the, the spouse of a modern ma- martyred congressperson, that that's a pretty solid profile to have going into an election. It's not particularly political. There's, you know, lots of political backgrounds that could get on board with that. And if the mood is still to punish Republicans and punish Trump. He could certainly ride that uh, to probably a two to three point victory at the end of the day. He's also got a new Netflix documentary. Uh, excuse me, Netflix doc- documentary series. Excuse me, that uh, premiered this month. That is probably just as good as a campaign commercial. Sure. It's yeah, it's absolutely. Called a year in space. Yeah, yeah that I mean, that's a hell of a background for running <laughs> for Congress. You know. Uh, I really feel like the Republicans have to be kicking themselves for McSally. I mean, if, if Ducey appoints himself or McCain's wife to the seat, I, yeah. I don't think they're in any danger. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it. They probably could have held it much 
much easier with probably one or two other candidates. Although, God damn it, McSally wouldn't have been, shouldn't have been at least that toxic. You know, she was also considered, as Republicans go, pretty moderate. But then again, you know, she just lost. Yeah, she had so you've got some proof lost. that she did not have what it took statewide. Even in a tough environment, she didn't have it. And voters said no, and they put her in there anyway. Yeah, Cindy McCain, you'd think, again, easy, easy, easy thing. The wife of the guy who was a senator there forever. Ducey just romped to re-election. He was re-elected by like 30%. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we were seriously contesting that one. I think we No, were just, but he, uh, the reason we weren't seriously contesting it was he was going to win by like 30%. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, that's like a chicken and egg problem, but it's it's true. He was going to romp to that election. We weren't going to waste anything trying to take it. Yeah, um, I, I think if Ducey appoints himself to the Senate seat, they keep the Senate seat, but probably likely lose the the governorship. I suppose. I mean, lieutenant governor worth anything or not really? Not as much as uh, Ducey is. He's got a lot <laughs> of like personal pull in that state. I don't understand it. I don't think he's especially like telegenic or anything. Uh, but then I don't understand that about Higginhuber either. He's romping all over the Colorado Senate race right now. Yeah, well, it's. I think it comes off as a wooden board, but they fucking love it in that state. It's a purple to blue state. Gardner really doesn't belong there. He just kind of got in in a freak election of 2014. And yeah, he's going to get bounced back out. Yeah, uh, Hickenlooper has largely cleared the field of Democratic candidates. Before he got into the race, there were four. Uh, once he got in, you would think that would go up to five. No, it's actually dropped to two. It, it's him and, and one other who is the only other one in that race pulling double digits. Everybody else is down in single digits without any real money. Uh, he's got almost two-thirds of the Democratic Party already on his side in that primary, and he's outpolling... Uh, He's out polling in the general by like five or six points at this point. Um, I don't understand it, but there it is. <laughs> like, yeah. Hickenlooper is a force in Colorado, apparently. Yeah. It really wasn't anything in the, <laughs> in, in the primary here, but uh, in, the, in the presidential election. But Colorado is where he's from and where he's been elected. So There yeah. was a, a poll in that came out of Montana. I don't know if you saw it. But uh, it showed that Democrats would actually win that state for president if we nominated Bullock. Uh, that would yeah. have been the first time in, I believe, nearly 30 years that had happened. Maybe a little bit more than 30 years. I think Clinton won in 96, maybe 92. That would have been it then. Yeah, that would have been the last time yeah. for sure. Uh, they, they lose that state to every other candidate tested. Uh, I don't yeah. think we're going to nominate Bullock, but Bullock sounds like a hell of an endorsement to go run for the Senate. I think if so. If you're thinking about it, man, that Montana We could use you. that seat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other endangered Republican Senate candidates, Joni Ernst, is having some fundraising troubles. She did not hit a million dollars. And I would not have expected her to be endangered, honestly. Uh, she was outraised by her opponent, who raised $1.1 million. That's money that actually goes a fair far way in Iowa. It's not an expensive state to, to advertise in, just a few media markets, only one of which is really notable. Yeah. Huh. Well, that would be, that'd be help. That would really, that really does put the Senate back in play if, you know, Iowa is doable. Yeah. If Iowa's doable, then there's a lot on, 
on the map. And one of the big ones that we've been focused on is Maine, where Collins is in trouble. And a lot of people, myself included, don't think she's actually going to run again. Yeah. Uh, she's she's been outpaced by over a million dollars. She's over a million dollars in the hole to Sarah Gideon, who is the uh, Speaker of the Maine State House. She's running an incredible campaign. She's really hitting Collins on the Kavanaugh vote. She's bringing that to the forefront of it. And just, I think one of the things you need to do is you need to divorce people from the myths they build around them. And I think the Kavanaugh vote was a really good wedge for illustrating exactly how far Collins has come out of step with Maine, which by population, not by land, but by the majority of its population, is a, a liberal New England state. Um, yeah. Southern Maine, the, the Portland coast. Uh, our Portland is named for their Portland, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Right. Uh, the Portland coast has most of the people in it. It's a, a liberal New England town like any other, like you'd find in Massachusetts or Rhode Island. Uh, and, and Collins has just not kept to that moderate persona she's built around herself. She's she is not herself with this myth that allows her to, you know, not take any real damage from things she does. And Gideon, I think, has been absolutely incredible at exploiting that. Yeah, yeah, it will be it will be a delight to see her go down. Honestly, you know the. Deciding vote on Kavanaugh. I don't see how you could have done more to throw away that moderate, that moderate image right there. Being the person, that speech she gave, just full on abysmal, abysmal. So she definitely has earned it. Uh, there's some other things that are, would take more time to go into. Uh, Georgia is. Uh, freaking mess mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, two Senate seats, yeah. Two Senate seats and dozens of candidates. Nobody is a front runner for really any of them. Uh, yeah, it's going to take a long time to get that one figured out, so we won't bother with that. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where we're sitting at what we think of the Senate. We didn't talk about Mrs. Or, uh, is it Mrs. Texas. No, Texas I don't... is gone. Um, Doug Jones is Alabama, Mississippi. Alabama, Alabama. yeah. That seems gone. <laughs> yes, it's it's going to be. Don't don't, don't, don't waste your money. <laughs> yeah. Not waste your money on that. Send it to Maine. Yep. Send it to Iowa. Send it to Arizona. Do not mm -hmm. send it to Alabama. Doug Jones. Send it to best, but he's gone. Send it to Gary Peters in Michigan, who's defending a seat, and I guess the race is actually fairly close from what I've seen in the polls. And you know Trump is going to be there all the time because he knows he's got to get that to win. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our local issue, which is yeah. Washington has a ballot measure that I'm hoping you can explain to me because I was We've reading Seattle media and it uh, turns out there's an impending race war I was unaware of. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but, well, it's a little more complicated than the typical initiative. But what we have right now is... A vote on Initiative 1000, which is actually on the ballot as Referendum 88. Um, I could really bore you with a lot of the, you know, how that comes about. But basically, it's whether or not to affirm a, a decision that was made of the legislature to go ahead and pass a law 
based on the petition that they received to for Initiative 1000, which is to repeal the portions of a initiative from 20 years ago, which prohibited prohibited affirmative action. Basically, this was kind of the height of the late 90s, you know, political incorrectness. You know, we've got to get back at reverse racism and so on and so forth. This was actually a uh, Tim Iman measure that was passed back in 1998. It was uh, Initiative 200. Yeah, well, he's still he's got he's got another initiative on the ballot this time, too. He's still around. Uh, (laughs) But it was an initiative that would uh, prohibit uh, race and sex conscious decision making by the state government. And it's been interpreted down by the state legislature over the years uh, to basically get a slightly more. trying to think of how to describe it to allow some decision making to incorporate that as a factor but not as a determinative factor deciding factor you know in line with uh i believe baki is the deciding is the current law of the land you know university of california v baki um but but so that is the initiative we've got now is to basically take the old initiative and scrap it and allow some decisions again that take race and gender into account and yeah basically bring in affirmative action as it was previously practiced and at least as it could be practiced within the confines of current supreme court jurisprudence and yeah the uh reactionaries of course see it as bringing on reverse racism uh bringing in you know allowing lots of uh, state decisions to uh, disadvantage you know white people and men I'm sure that would have been the uh, my Northwest take <laughs> yeah no literally uh, they had an article about a eastern Washington state legislature who went on the radio and said if this passes it's going to face wars oh my wait is it that guy uh, what's it the, the one that everyone that we've uh, I think we covered him before. The guy who was actually trying to start race wars and was Possibly. hanging out with uh, what's his name? Oh my God, it's not is it Matt no, Shea. It's it's oh, looks like it's a woman. Uh, Washington State Senator Ann Rivers. Oh, okay. All I believe right. so that it's this not, referendum is going to create a race war. Rivers called Cairo uh, Radio's Candy Mike Talk Show. So we have minorities pitted against minorities in an effort to be the most favored minority or a favored minority. God. Rivers said that I-1000 will create an open and gaping wound, end quote. The initiative was passed by Washington State Legislature's last session. Legislature, right. last session. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I guess a race war, that'll be cool. Uh, but no, I, and I, I love how they, they pitch that it's like somebody else is going to start the race war when it's very clear that they mean that they're going to start the race war. They, you know, they the people that uh, are aggrieved and want to vote to build a wall and throw everybody who's uh, browner than a cardboard box in a cage or outside of the country. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I love how it's assumed that yeah, it's going to be oh, it's going to be this group on this group, but it's not us, the majority, that's going to have anything to do with that. Yeah, the uh, the system wouldn't even be new. It would be the system that Washington had before 1997, if I recall right. correctly. 
And also, again, the kind of caricature of affirmative action uh, that has been, you know, has, has prevailed for years and years is not actually anything that exists and hasn't, again, since, you know, California, University of California v. Bakke. So it goes back probably to the 80s, honestly. But, you know, the idea that, oh, we can't hire you for this job because you're not a minority, that does not exist and has not existed. It's absolutely insane. So I uh, I read a lot of UK media for reasons that mostly revolve around being a hipster, and I like it. <laughs> um, um, but it, it's kind of weird to read articles on American political topics through British media, because um, they, they did have an article on this, uh, the BBC did, and the UK English word for affirmative action is uh, what's called positive discrimination over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's also a term that I think the, the right uses around affirmative action in the United States. Yeah. So it really makes it, it you feel like you're reading the Daily Storm or a summary of it when it's just a difference in cultural language. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, just ballpark odds, what do you think it is that it passes? Mm, I think it's actually going to be pretty close, and it's an off-year election. You know, we do pretty good on turnout, but for an election where there's no statewide office on the ballot and in most places there's not even legislative races on the ballot, I think there's more likely than not this probably will not pass. Sad. Yeah. I haven't seen any polling on it. I'd be curious to see if there's anything that uh, has been measuring this one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've I've seen yeah no on I one thousand signs you know just not right near my neighborhood but certainly not too far down the main road from us and this is you know generally a lefty haven we live in a pretty lefty part of a pretty lefty town so if that's even showing up around here I don't give it good odds in a statewide election again when it's an off year election where. We can't even count on, you know, the kind of presidential turnout to bring out more, more, more left-wing voters that might be inclined to support this. So I, I, I do not give it very good odds. I'd love to be surprised, but yeah. Well, we'll certainly see what's going on with that. Um, I guess in the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about some governor's elections in Kentucky and Louisiana. We'll, yeah. Uh, Check in on those as well, but I think that uh, that does it for this week. Have sure. A good one, Dan. You too, Brock. Later on. <laughs>